problems are situations engineered by God to demonstrate our inadequacy so that we will look to his sufficiency as our only hope. Welcome to episode four of Connecting the Gap. I'll be right back. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Connecting the Gap. I'm Daniel Moore. Thank you for joining me once again. Uh, again, if you uh, are new to this podcast, please subscribe. I'm on several different podcast platforms. Also on YouTube, you can go to my website at connectingthegap.net and see the YouTube link there. And please subscribe and click the little bell so that you'll get the notifications whenever I upload these. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find what we discuss each and every week to be uplifting in your spirit and as we all learn, I'm learning through all this just like you guys are, um, as we all learn about who God really is in our life and, and what he means to us on a daily basis. And we are into the third installment here of this study that we have started on when Jesus walked on the water with Peter. And what we're basically talking about getting out of this story is, does God test us sometimes? Or are there things that we go through our own problems that we initiate? I truly believe that God does test us occasionally and put us in a time of testing to see where our faith is and see how we've grown. So you'll need to go back and watch the, the first two prior to, to probably get into this one if you have not watched those yet, or you might want to go back and watch them just to remind yourself of where we're at um, in the study. So we're just going to pick it up where we left off last week. The, the boat, Jesus had put them in there and he'd shoved them out into the water against their will. They really didn't want to go, but he pushed them out there anyway. And they got into the storm, been rowing about six to nine hours roughly, had barely made a little over maybe two-thirds of the way across the sea. They were just kind of just there in slow motion, just not going anywhere. And then all of a sudden they seen Jesus on that water gliding towards them. And we found out that when they had helped him feed the 5,000, that they still didn't truly understand who Jesus was because their hearts were hardened. We saw that scripture there um, as we were studying last week. And so they thought it was a ghost when they saw Jesus coming up. And so we were kind of at, at that point in the story when we stopped last week. And, you know, as we had left last week, uh, I was talking about how the disciples had helped Jesus feed up to those roughly around 15,000 people on that mountainside that day. And they had saw the incredible thing that God had done, but they still didn't connect the dots. They did, still didn't understand who Jesus was at that point. And the reason that I brought this up was because, you know, I've heard people say this, and, and you've probably heard people say this as well. If only I could have lived with Jesus on this earth, I would have had a lot more faith. I will be the first to say I've said that myself before. I have sit there and, and talked to other people um, in church, you know, leadership that I've been in leadership with and, and that kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, you would think that with them walking by Jesus every day, their faith would be so strong because he's right there. And uh, how, how I would be, you know, more faithful and understand more if God was, if he was right here beside me. But I think what we've come to realize is, you know, even with the story with the disciples, and probably if we really sit there scrutinize scrutinize our own lives, um, if we really put ourselves in that place where Jesus walked beside us, I don't think we would have a lot more faith. I really don't. Because, you know, what we've just learned about the disciples 
they lived with Jesus every day and they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand that he was the true Messiah and the whole scope about who Jesus was. And so what happens is, is they're afraid. They see this phantom. They see what they call this ghost coming to them on the water. And if we go on into verse 50 here, it says, But immediately as he's passing by, and this is Mark chapter 6, he looks towards them and says to them, Be of good cheer. And I'm sure the disciples were in the boat and they're like, Yeah, right, Lord. Be of good cheer. We're about to drown. We're sitting here. We've been rowing for hours. We're exhausted. And we're about ready to go under. And you're wanting us to be of good cheer? I mean, that's the first thing that you tell us when we come up? Well, yes. God comes up. Jesus comes up there and he says, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Problem was, they still had not processed yet who Jesus was and who the I was in that scripture when Jesus said, It is I. They still had not processed through that process through that completely. Is that not a great statement that should take away all of our fear whenever we are afraid and we realize that Jesus has entered into our situations that we come into with, with our life and we hear him say, It is I. Be of good cheer. I got it under control. That should be so satisfying to us and should present that peace in our life that we're looking at, you know, looking forward through those moments. Matthew says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. As the disciples quaked with fear, they're almost paralyzed out there on the Sea of Galilee trying to row their way across this. A voice pierced the storm and it cut through their fear. It is I, be not afraid. How many of us have ever heard the Lord say that to us in the midst of our fears? How many times have we been in situations that we just thought, didn't know if we were going to make it through them or not, but God stepped up and he spoke through our prayer time or he spoke to us through the word and he said, I'm here. Don't fear what you're going through right now. You know, in our heart, you know, in my heart, I hear him say, Daniel, don't be afraid. I'm here. It's me. All the stuff you're going through, I'm right here by your side and I'm holding on to you to get you through this. You know, with my first episode that I put out there, I gave you my testimony. I was in the hospital for quite quite a while and quite a few different times over the years um, with what happened to me there. And so I've heard that several times, you know, Daniel, this is me. I'm here with you through this. Hang on. We've got this. God's got this. Be not afraid. So what was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of this test that he was putting these disciples through? Well, the scriptures go on to say in verses 51 and 52 that Jesus went up into the boat after he had identified himself and the wind ceased. So let's just talk about that for a moment, about the wonder of Jesus and how something like this could take place out there on the, the middle of the sea in the middle of the storm. And what I'd like to point out that in this account that we have in Matthew 6, it says there were actually four miracles and only, and you only can see two of them in Mark, if you go to Mark, because one of the other ones in Matthew and the other ones in John. But they're all about the same events. So we're going to talk about all these different miracles that happen through this little story here as, as we take all these Gospels and put them together. So the first miracle was when Jesus walked on the water. It says in verse 48, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. So that's miracle number one. Number two, the Bible says in verse 51, that when he got into the boat, as soon as he got inside the boat, everything stopped. The storm was over. The sea was calm. The wind stopped. It was like, wow. All of a sudden, in a moment, it didn't just slow down. 
The Bible doesn't say that he gradually came to a stop. It says immediately, as soon as he got into that boat, it ceased. It completely stopped. So right there we have those two miracles. So where's the other ones? Well, the third one is not in this account that we've been reading, but it's in Matthew's account. And that's Peter walking on the water. And there's a huge debate about why that story is not included in Mark's gospel. Why isn't Peter walking on the water in the gospel of Mark? If you read the Mark's version of the story, Peter doesn't walk on the water. You won't see that. Mark's gospel was really, here's why, I feel like it's not there. Mark was really Peter's account of everything. And Peter, everything in Mark, Peter was dictating to Mark. And Mark was recording it. So get this in your mind. Peter's telling the story about Jesus putting them into the boat, pushing them out in the sea, and they're rowing for all their might and all that kind of thing. And Peter's walking on the waters left out of the account in Mark. And some people have actually written that they thought it was because it was a Peter's humility, that he didn't want to lift himself up and be glorified for him being able to walk on the water and you know kind of create his own success story and that kind of thing. But I thought about that a little bit. I'm not so sure that that's probably really a true statement. I'm not sure that's really why Peter probably didn't include it in Mark. Um, I've never noticed in my study of Peter very much humility. Um, he's, he's had his moments, but it, it's not been something that he normally does on a regular basis. I think there's another reason behind why he didn't include that in Mark. So let's read this account and see if you can pick it up. Here's the account from Matthew. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? I think that's why he didn't want it in the book. You can formulate your own opinion, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, I think that if I had been embarrassed about myself losing my faith and starting to sink and Jesus happened to grab my hand and pick me back up, I might have left it out of that story also. That's just a, a human reaction sometimes when we have an embarrassing moment in our life. And, you know, we have the story that in Matthew, he tells us exactly what happened, even if Peter wasn't willing to let it out in Mark. So that was the third miracle. Jesus walks on the water, he calms the sea, and then Peter walks on the water. Well, there's one more miracle that also happened in this story. John tells us about this one. And you might be surprised because for quite some time I hadn't read all these stories together so much where I picked up on this. But in John chapter 6 verse 21, it says they willingly received Jesus into the boat. And what happened after that? It says immediately the boat was at land where they were going. That would have been quite a ride. I can only imagine how that would have been to be out there in the middle of that probably two-thirds away across the Sea of Galilee, struggling against the wind, struggling against the waves. And then as soon as Jesus steps in the boat, wham, you're right there on, on the other side of that land immediately. Jesus got in the boat, and immediately the boat was where it was supposed to be. They're about two to three miles out, but when he gets in there, he does away with all the distance and all of that storm and everything that was going on of where the boat was at. And all of a sudden, they were right there on shore where he wanted them to be. That would be a night I think that we would never forget. We see Jesus walk on the water. We see the calm of the storm when he gets into the boat because immediately the storm stopped. Then we see Peter trying to do his thing, trying to walk on the water. 
and what happened with that when Jesus had to grab him. And then finally, when it's all over, Jesus gets in the boat. There's no more rowing. There's no more fighting against the wind. There's no more being winded and you know trying to, to get to the other side. Immediately, we're at the place where we set out to be hours and hours ago. To me, that's the wonder of Jesus. What a night and what a time of miracles that they had that evening. The Bible says that the wonder of Jesus eventuated into the worship of Jesus. Matthew tells us that those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, and this is what Jesus had been after this whole time. This was his whole intention from the very beginning when he you know, made those loaves and fishes multiply and fed all those people on that mountainside. This is the point that he was trying to get to with his disciples. Those that were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying that you are truly the Son of God. They finally got it. Look what Jesus had to do. Look what God had to do to get through to the hard hearts of his disciples. He fed 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He walked on the water. He calmed the sea twice. He got Peter to walk on the water. He took them on the fastest boat trip ever recorded in history. And after all that was done, they finally looked up and said, Oh, you must be Jesus, the Son of the living God. You know what? As we read this story, I kind of feel like that we can kind of be a little bit hard on the disciples, I guess, um, as, as we read this account in the scriptures of this miracle. But how many of us could give a testimony to the fact that we were probably almost as stubborn as those disciples before we came to Jesus? I know as I think about my life and, and where I've came from, I've had a lot of stubborn moments in my life when I didn't react the way that I should have to things that God did for me. And the places that he tried to take me into my life, I would rebel and not do things the way that I should. You know, people witness to us all the time. They've talked to us. Uh, they saw our changed lives. We have saw what God has done in our families. And they keep saying to us, why don't you come to trust Christ? You know, we can go through these times when we have people, you know, telling us who we are. You might be witnessing to somebody at this point in time that just doesn't seem to want to change. You know what God's done in your life, and you would like for them to have the same experience. But it seems like a lot of times when we talk about God, it falls on deaf ears. And we don't see the change in them. Or even maybe if it was us, when we were going through that time where people were trying to get us to come to Christ, they didn't think we were going to ever change. And, you know, a lot of times it's, we kind of look back and we think, well, you know, there's a time in my life when I felt like, yeah. I don't need that stuff. You know, that's just, that's not something that's important in my life right now. And you might be getting that reaction from somebody else. If you're witnessing to them right now, they may be telling you the same thing, that they don't need all this religious stuff and the Bible and God and all this kind of thing in their life. Um, but there comes a point in time when we, when, as Christians, we just can't deny the reality and the power of Jesus Christ. When he starts working in us and starts working through us, our hardened hearts will become broken so that we can come to the point to say that he truly is the son of the living God. So at this point in time in this story, the disciples worshiped him. Here's a promise for this test that God put these disciples through. We're gonna go, we're gonna go ahead and try to finish this up today, so it's gonna be a little bit longer than 15 minutes, but I don't have a whole lot left here, so we're gonna continue. This is really special in my estimation, the promise for this test, and I want you to kind of visualize this as, as we talk about it here for a moment. I do this a lot when I'm studying the Gospels because of the way that the narratives go. And here's kind of a good way to look at this. If you've ever seen a split screen, you know what I'm talking about. You have a 
something on one side and you have something on the other, you can do it on your computers. The phones have that capability now. Um, so on this side, there's something happening. And on this side, there's something happening. And they're both happening at the same time. But because of technology, we're not allowed to watch them both unless we see them on the split screen. So here's the split screen. Here are the disciples in their boat in the midst of the storm. Where's Jesus? He's in the mountain. He's praying for them in the midst of the storm. He's praying for his disciples. I find it interesting that as we go through our storms, even though our Lord a lot of times will engineer these storms for us as a test, he never stops praying for us. And I think it's so cool how he does that. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to test you, but I have prayed for you. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. He's our intercessor. He's praying for us. And especially when we're in the storms, we're in those difficult times of life, as sometimes we go through, and some of you may be in these, these places right now, you may be in a difficult time in your life. Don't ever forget, He sees you. He's seen me in my times that I've been down in those valleys and didn't think I was going to be able to come back up. What's more, He's praying for you. He's not just seeing you in that position that you're in right now in those bad moments. He actually is interceding for you as we speak. And this is a test. This is a time that God's going to look at us and see how we react in those low valleys compared to where we're at when we're on those mountains. But He's not going to leave us to take the test without His help and His encouragement. That's the promise that He gives us for these times of testing. God gives us some encouragement from the Bible in case we're in the midst of a test. The first one that I want to share with you today is from the earliest book ever written in the Bible. It's the book of Job 23.10. It says, But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. The second one that I want to share with you is in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The third one is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. While we're in the midst of those storms in life, we're in the bottom of those valleys, Jesus is in the mountains praying for us. And as he's promised us, he will not let these tests destroy us. He will not let them come and consume our lives and completely destroy who we are in him. He, he uses these tests to make us better. He uses this test to burn off all the dross so that the gold in us is still purified as we come out. In the midst of testing times, it's your choice. You can let it make you better or you can, make it, you can let it make you bitter. That's the two things that will happen as you go through these tests. And we've got to be careful that we don't become the latter of the two. These storms can make you better or they can make you bitter. Some people get into a storm and immediately they just get bitter from the whole thing and they get so upset and aggravated that they lose everything that God wants them to learn from this time of testing. We have to remember that these times that we go through these things, a lot of times are a test. And we need to remember about, about tests, we need to remember three things and we'll be closing with this. If you're in a storm, if you're in a test, don't forget, number one, he is watching. He sees you. He's not asleep. He's not on vacation. He's watching you just as Jesus was watching those disciples from that mountaintop that day. 
He's watching you from heaven on the authority of the word of God. You're never out of his sight and you're more present in his vision when you're in a storm than any other time. I truly believe that. I think anytime that we're in a valley and we're going through a low place, I think he's even more synced into where we're at at those moments. He's watching us. Number two, he's waiting. If you do a little bit of math in the script, these scriptures that we've been studying over the last few weeks, Jesus came to the disciples in the third watch of the night. And as we said, what time was that? It was around three o'clock or later in the middle of the night. The Bible says they entered into the storm sometime around evening time. So he let them experience the storm for somewhere between seven to nine hours before he came to interdict the storm and to stop everything that was taking place out there in the middle of that sea. I never want to argue with God, but sometimes I have a tendency to want to argue with God about these things when this happens because that the Lord knew he already knows what's going to happen in these tests that we're in already. He knows how it's going to end up as we start going through these tests. He knows how we're going to respond and what's going to happen in the end of this. And my argument with him sometimes is, you know, Lord, if you're going to help me in this thing, then why did you let me go seven to nine hours through all of this testing time before you came and took away my pain? And a lot of times we like to look at things and ask, you know, why does God allow us to go through this? Why does it take weeks for me to go through something that somebody else took three hours and they were through it? And we come back to this God's timing thing. And I think this scripture here kind of elevates that thought process again for when we think about those times when he takes a while to come in and step in and intervene. And I feel that the way, the reason that he does this, why he'll let us go to seven to nine hours sometimes before he takes the pain away, he's waiting. Why is he waiting? I think because problems are situations engineered by God to prove our inadequacy, and we cannot prove one's inadequacy in a five-minute moment. Sometimes we're stubborn, and it takes a little bit longer than five minutes for us to understand that, hey, I need God in this. There's no way I'm getting out of this unless I have him on my side. It takes a long time for us sometimes for him to get through to us. We are not sufficient for these things, so he's waiting. So if you've been in a storm for a while, maybe you should be kind of looking around and saying, Lord, what are you waiting for? And he's usually very good about telling you the things that you need to do to clean yourself up so that he can come in and finish the storm out with you and take you through this so that you'll learn how to be a better Christian and you can grow. Sometimes we are our own roadblock. We have things in front of us that we don't see, we don't want to see, we want, it's maybe something we want to push under the rug and not fix at the moment, and God may be wanting that very thing fixed before he allows us to come out of that trial. So number two, he's waiting. Number three, he's working. What do I mean when I say he's working? Well, he saw them, he waited until the proper moment, and at the right moment, he came to where they were, and he entered into that awful situation that they were in out in the middle of that Sea of Galilee. They didn't come to him. They didn't get out of the boat and go up the mountain, find Jesus, and, and be with him. He came to where they were. He came to them through that storm on the water. He got in their boat in the midst of their stress, in the midst of all the problems that they were having, the midst of their arguments and you know the feelings of failure and everything that was going on in their life at that moment. He got right in the middle of that, and he took them to the destination that they wanted to be, which is the other side. And that's what he does for us as well. He's always working in our lives. We need to slow down sometimes for a minute, kind of look back behind to see where we've came from, where we're at now, and understand that God's working through that whole period. And a lot of times we will see that progress if we'll just take a moment, get past our anger and the fact that he's not on our timing. If we get past all of that, we can understand where he's coming from. 
So he's watching, he's waiting, he's working on our behalf. He loves us more than we could ever know. He has given us the best gift, which is his only son, Jesus Christ. How would he ever withhold anything of that from us of value? We just need to be patient. We need to settle down a little bit. We need to hear his voice saying that it is I, and ultimately his, his purpose will be experienced in our life. We just need to, need to make sure that we allow these times that, that we go through testing, that we allow it to create a diamond out of all that fire. We need to make sure that we understand who God is at that moment and allow him to work in our life and to help us to grow in our faith. So that's going to wrap up this little mini study, the, the first one that I've kicked off here with Connecting the Gap. Again, if you know of anybody that this would help, um, please share this on your social media and whatever and get other people to subscribe and we're going to have a lot more stuff like this that i'll be doing and again we'll be eventually doing some interviews with some different people hearing their testimonies we're just going to do a lot of different stuff just to have some fun with this and um, if you want to email me you can email me at ctgap at outlook.com if there's subjects that you'd like for me to discuss or if you know someone that has a good testimony that i could interview uh, please send me those and uh, i will look into that and uh, kind of go from there. So hopefully you guys um, learned something from this. Drop me an email if it helped you. Um, I, I, it encourages me to keep keep you know sharing with you guys, sharing my heart. And uh, so please uh, interact with me if there's something that you'd like to share, a testimony maybe, or something that might have changed in your life throughout this study. And uh, and I would greatly appreciate that. Love to hear from you guys. Um, I've already had some feedback from from people already in the, the previous weeks. And that just uh, kind of helps me to kind of know where I'm at with, with this path that I've taken. And it just lets me know that God's working, that God's moving in all of our lives. So if uh, I could pray for you guys, you can throw me a, an email and, and give me some prayer requests as well. Uh, just whatever. I, I, I just like to hear from you. So next week, we'll be starting off something new. And uh, I've got a few ideas here. I'm not sure exactly which one it is yet, so it's going to be a surprise. Um, but we'll, we'll have something new next week. So hopefully you guys learn um, from this study. And uh, it's time for me to get out of here for now. You guys have a great week. And I'll talk to you next week here on Connecting the Gap.